Happy Sabbath, everyone. Happy Sabbath. <clears throat> um, today, we will be in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And I hope this message is a blessing and a relief to some of you. I know today, or this week, has been quite a busy week. I was talking to some earlier, too. Uh, and I know some of you have had a busy week, stressful week, you know, interesting things happening and going on. So I'm just very thankful for the Sabbath. I'm thankful that we can gather here together uh, on God's holy day. Ephesians chapter 1 and uh, read verses 3 through 6. And it reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, today we ask that as we wrestle with this passage, that you would open up your word to us. May this be your message and not mine. Please guide me with your Holy Spirit at this time. I pray that each heart would be opened here today to hear a word from you from heaven And we ask that you'd minister to us in this place. Again, may Jesus be lifted up and your word spoken and believed and in your spirit present. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There is a story, a true story, about a late newspaper publisher named William Randolph Hearst. Now this man, he invested a fortune in collecting expensive and rare artwork from around the world. And one day, Mr. Hurst found a description of some very valuable artwork that he felt that he must own. When he saw the description, he heard the description of this artwork, he said, I I must have it. When he saw a picture of it, he said, i got to have this. So he sent an assistant abroad to go overseas and to find this piece of artwork and to bring it back. And after months of searching for this valuable piece of artwork, the assistant finally returned home with the good news to report to his boss that he had found where the artwork was. But this man, Mr. Hurst, very excited and, 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 and ready to receive his artwork, he asked his assistant, well, why did you not bring it with you? How come you don't have it here with you in your hands to give to me? And so the assistant said, well, Mr. Hurst, I found the artwork. It took me a long time, but it's actually in your warehouse and you've had it for years. You see, Mr. Hertz, he had been searching frantically for this treasure that he just had to have, and he didn't know that he owned it already. Isn't that sad? Isn't isn't that silly? Almost foolish? 
If he, if he had searched his catalog of wealth, he would have discovered that he owned it already. He would have saved himself a lot of time, a lot of trouble, a lot of money, a lot of stress, and a lot of waiting. He already, was already in his warehouse. And I share this story with you today, church, because I believe that most Christians, we don't know how spiritually wealthy that we truly are. And it's, it's a trick of the devil. I, I appreciate the testimony this morning, Alicia, of, of what is happening to your mother because it's very common. The devil knows how to deceive. He knows how to get us thinking that, that we're lost. But Paul wants to remind us today that if we are in Christ Jesus... Not only are we saved eternally, but we have all the wealth and the riches of heaven above. They already belong to us. Most Christians do not understand how rich and privileged that they really are. More than we could ever imagine. If we would only exercise more faith. If we would search and and research the scriptures even more to understand the riches that we have been given. And we would search out these riches that we have in Christ Jesus. What a difference it would make for each one of us and for the world as well. We would want less and we would praise God more. Amen? Now, money and possessions and positions and And all these other things that we clamor after, they would not seem so valuable after all. We would do that which the Bible tells us, which is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And in the book of Ephesians, if you read through chapter 1, it's almost difficult to follow along with Paul sometimes. I mean, he's, he's jumping from one, almost seems like one point to the next, and he's telling us all the rich blessings we have in Christ and, and all the privileges we have in Christ. And he's talking about predestination and being chosen and elected and all these other... He's, it's like un, uh, trying to unpack all these wonderful truths in just one chapter. It's like drinking out of a fire hose. You really have to take it one verse, one line at a time. But Paul wanted to assure the Ephesians of their position before God in Jesus Christ. You Ephesians, you may be pagans, you may be coming out of a pagan society, you you may have had this uh, strange teaching in your background about religion and God and all these other... But if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he died for your sins if you believe in the promises of God, then you are the richest person in the world, in Christ Jesus. Everything that Jesus has, everything that Jesus in his standing before God is yours as well. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now, the Ephesians, they they lived in a very pagan society. And now, if some of you can remember that this is where they had the temple of Diana, I believe it was. You know, the great temple of the goddess Diana. And so this was kind of a stronghold 
for paganism. This was the great influence upon many of the Ephesians. And by the grace of God, there were many Ephesians who were coming to Christ. You remember the story that there were so many who were coming to Jesus that the men who made the idols, they worked with wood and metal, they started an uprising. They're saying, look, we're losing our livelihood because nobody's buying our pagan idols. You know, before long, we're, we're all going to be broken out of a job. So the, the, this labor union, if you will, they all came together and they, and they rioted. They're, they're saying these Jews, Paul and the others, they come here and that these men who've turned the world upside down, they've even come to our place. So many Ephesians were coming to Jesus Christ. But as they were coming into the church, so to speak, there were also those who were telling them, listen, if you really want to be a true believer, you have to be circumcised. If you really want to be a true believer, you you have to practice all of these uh, festivals and feasts. And basically they were telling them they have to become Jews. And if you read through the book of Ephesians, you will see that all of these issues were being dealt with in the book of Ephesians. And, And Paul is trying to tell them that this is not the case. If you are in Jesus Christ, and even if you're not circumcised, and and even if you're not practicing these feasts, if you are in Jesus Christ, you are a legitimate child of God. You are a legitimate child of God. And even more than this, Paul wants to remind them, Ephesians, you may not have been born from the stock of Abraham, Okay, this this promise that was made to Abraham hundreds of years ago. But let me tell you something way before Abraham, even before the creation of the world, you were chosen in Jesus Christ. Now, that precedes any Jewish lineage, right? I mean, that far that far precedes Abraham. That, that goes way before Noah. Let's even go back before Adam. So if, if somebody wants to tell you, hey, you're, you're not a legitimate uh, uh, heir of the kingdom because you're not a Jew, then let's, let's just go back before the time of the Jews. God predestined you long, long time ago. So we come across this word here In Ephesians, the word predestination. It says here in verse 5, Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. As I was preparing for this uh, sermon, I read a commentary that said that if you try to explain predestination, you will lose your mind. But if you ignore it, you could lose your soul. So it's very clear in the Bible. Paul doesn't just use it in Ephesians. He also uses it in the book of Romans. The word predestination is there. 
And so earlier in this week, as I was sharing my sermon with Simako, we had a very interesting conversation about what is predestination. And we talked about that that controversial text in Romans about Pharaoh, how God raised Pharaoh up. You, you know, you know the passage. Some of you back, and I think it's in Romans chapter nine, where he raised Pharaoh up just to show his God's glory. He was going to show his glory in the destruction of Pharaoh, and it also talks about how God loved Jacob but hated Esau. And so Paul is dealing here with with these these different ideas of election. And so we get kind of caught up in this, well, do we have the freedom to choose whether we are saved or, or is it that God elects and there's no choice? Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, we take the traditional position that we do have a choice in our salvation. Remember John 3.16, probably the most well-known ver- verse in all of Scripture, says that for God so loved the world that... Whomever, yes, he gave his only begotten son that whomever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And one of my favorite texts here on, on this topic is Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God does not will that some should perish. God does not will that some should die. But I don't really uh, want to talk about necessarily the traditional theology of predestination. I think we miss the point sometimes when, when we get caught up in election and choosing and these type of things. Because what I discovered this week is that is not really what Paul is trying to get at here. Now, Paul, in using predestination, when he's saying that they were predestined, he's not just talking about individuals. He's talking about the whole of all of the saints. He's actually including himself because he uses the word us here. He's predestined us to adoption. By the way, he's a Jew. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he's including himself in this, this big picture. And he uses the word us to describe who is predestined. Now, the word predestined in the original language, it can also uh, mean to be foreordained or to appoint beforehand. Remember, Paul is trying to go as far back into time as he can go to remind the Ephesians how intentional God was in pulling them out of the world and choosing them and saying, I, I, I'm pulling you out of the world so that you will experience my salvation to make you one of my children. That's how far back God's intention was. Even before the fall itself, he knew what was going to happen. His love for the Ephesians and his love for us is so great That even back then, he designed a perfect plan to make you and I a child of God. That's how intentional, that's how much God desired for the salvation of mankind. He's trying to go as far back into time as he can go. 
I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family. And a key truth that we have to remember about predestination or election or being chosen is that the merits for our salvation, the merits for our salvation are from God. The merits for our salvation are from God. He is the initiator and the executor of the plan that brings us into the heavenly family. So Ephesians, neither you nor any of these Jews who are trying to convince you you have to be circumcised and do all these other things, none of them can claim any credit when they walk into the kingdom of heaven and and Jesus comes again and he takes us to heaven. Nobody can say, ah, I made it because I blank, 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 because I, I did this or I did that or I... No one can ever say such things. All we can do is praise the God of heaven. All we can do is praise Jesus Christ for what he has done for our redemption. And as a matter of fact, Paul is so enraptured with the concept of what God has done for the human race, what God has done for Ephesians, what God has done for the saved, that again and again in this chapter, he's praising God. He's praising the glory of God. He does this again and again. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 6, To the praise of the glory of his grace, he says again. And in verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And verse 14, at the very end, he says, to the praise of his glory. Again and again, he just can't help but praising God. And church, today, I believe when Christians fully understand the wealth, the spiritual wealth, the legitimacy of their childhood, their, of their adoption into the kingdom of God. When, they, when we fully understand this, we will not help but just praise God constantly. Thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And this moves us to act like children of God. This moves us to behave like children of God. After all, we were elected for a purpose. That's, that's what he's saying here and in, verse, in verse 4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. We were elected to be holy, blameless people of God. To stand out from everybody else. So they say, look, those are the children of God. They might love it, they might hate it, but these people are God's children. So Paul, in his, in his explanation, in, in his directing their minds, he, he burst out again and again to praising God. God has taken the initiative to predestine us, to choose us, to adopt us, God deserves all the credit, all the praise when we walk into the heavenly kingdom of God forever. We cannot take any of the credit 
to ourselves because God has done something so amazing. It, it, was, it was almost inconceivable. How can God bring sinful human beings who were rebellious, who broke his law, and, and who seemed to be outside of, of the blessing and the legitimacy of God, how can he take them and make them legitimate children of God? And that's what Paul is saying. And now this term that he used, they're being predestined to adoption. Now, adoption, as it is today, is, is very important. And as you all know, our, our testimony, Simako and I, were finding out uh, how special this process is, how, how difficult this process can be, how time-consuming the process can be to, liter- to legally adopt someone. We have signed so many papers. You know, it's taken many months. Uh, there's, there's lots of requirements. There's all these background checks and, and all these other things to do to adopt a child. It's not, it's not just an easy, simple thing. I mean, anybody, just about anybody almost can do it who has a will to do it and, and, and who is able to do it. But it's no easy task. And you know, in reality, it's been that way throughout all history as well, even in the times of Paul. When somebody was adopted into a family that, that had Roman citizenship, it was a big deal. As a matter of fact, I read one commentary where there actually had to be seven witnesses for a, a, an adoption to be legitimate. Now think about some of the other things that you read about in the Bible or in history where you only had to have two or three witnesses. But sometimes they required as many as seven witnesses for an adoption to be legitimate because if a child was adopted into a Roman family, they had all the privileges of being a Roman citizen. You remember Paul was a Roman citizen even though he was a Jew. And when they beat him up with, without really questioning him... Um, some of the soldiers, some of, some of the police officers, when they beat him up and, and they were wanting to release him, he said, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You beat a Roman citizen. And they were afraid. They, they were terrified. They said, please, just get out of here. Uh, please don't get us in trouble. Because it was an offense to punish a Roman citizen without them first having their rights, their, their hearing. So it was a big deal to, to become a citizen, to become uh, adopted. This, is, this has always been a big deal. And you know, very recently, we, we realized too that once we adopt our boys, that they're going to actually have to get new birth certificates. And the state of Texas, and the other states will honor it as well too, will treat them as if they were born to us. These were the words that were, were told us. That you have all the legal rights, you have, you have uh, all the privileges, just as if these kids were born to you. That's how they're going to be treated by the state of Texas once the adoption takes place. That's how legitimate the process is. Now my question to you, saints today, is do you understand how much God has gone through and how precious your soul is, just you, to God. If God has gone through all of this to make you a legitimate 
child of God. Do you understand that? Do you live that way? Do you wake up in the morning saying, I am a child of God. I, I, am, a, I am a king. I am a queen. I am I'm a priest. I am a legitimate child of God. Do you believe that? God has gone through all the legal processes, so to speak, and very expensive process for Jesus to have to die on the cross to make us legitimate children of God. And I think that most Christians don't even come close to understanding their position before God. That's how important it is. We are as legitimate sons and daughters of Jesus Christ himself as as Jesus Christ himself. If we are in Christ, God sees Jesus when he looks at us. So for an example, if I were to take this piece of paper, we all see this piece of paper, but if I were to put it in this book, this Bible, and I were to lift it up, what is it that you see? You don't see the paper. You can't see it. You see, you see the Bible that covers it. And so when, if we are in Christ, this is why Paul is stressing, in him, in him, in Christ Jesus, then when God looks at you, he sees that you are as legitimate as Jesus Christ himself. You can't be any more legitimate than that. So think of everything that, that Jesus inherits, the privileges that Jesus gets from this position. Of course, it doesn't mean that we're not divine like him. We're not omnipotent. We're not to be worshipped. But we are in Christ Jesus. That's what God sees when he sees us. If we are hidden in Christ... When God looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus Christ. That's why we must be in Christ. And how does this truth, how does it change the way that you live your life? How does it affect the decisions that we make? How does it affect how we handle problems? How we handle our blessings? And how we handle the unexpected? Saints, our community needs to see the blessings of God live out in our lives. Many people are more attracted to Christians who are joyful and happy and content than many other things that we can show them. Christians who believe they will inherit eternal life through Christ Jesus. Christians who believe that every single spiritual blessing in heaven is theirs. When you're driving down the road, and you can look up and you see that big Texas sky, and you can see all the land around us. All of this belongs to us, and even more. So the things of this world seem pretty small in comparison. You know, I, I understand that the richest man on earth, do you all know who that is? Jeff Bezos. He's the, he's the CEO of Amazon. This man is wealthy. You know, I remember a long time ago, it used to be Bill Gates, the richest man in the world, and they were like, he's got like $60 billion. Wow, that was a lot. Jeff Bezos is worth over, I think they last ca- calculated, almost over $190 billion. That's a lot of money. What can you do? What, what are you going to do with all that money? You know? Now, most of it is in stocks and these types. He, he owns a lot of Amazon. Uh, but some say he's on track to possibly becoming a, a, a trillionaire. I, I don't know about 
that. That's a lot of money. But almost a quarter of a trillion dollars. That's how much the guy is worth. Now compare that with the poorest Christian. The poorest Christian who is in Christ Jesus. Jeff, can you buy a planet? Could you could you buy a little uh, just part of the universe? Will, will God give you some real estate in this big galaxy? I don't think so. That means nothing to God. You know, think about how wealthy just even the poorest Christian is. Just the poorest Christian compared to the wealthiest man on earth. Now, I don't know if this man's a Christian or not. I'm just not in, you know, I haven't studied his life that much. But the thought, this is how rich Christians are. But I want to remind us that the greatest riches are not material, but they're spiritual. The greatest riches are not material, but they're spiritual. And they're in Christ Jesus. The church, the world needs to see that being lived out in our lives. I would like to close with an illustration I'm sure you've had to have heard before of a man and his son. They were art collectors, this very wealthy uh, father and son. And they were closer than most father and son pairs. And they were, they were wealthy. They were good people. They uh, owned a lot of precious art. This was their hobby. This is what they loved to do together is collect expensive art. And the story takes place in a time of war. And so the son, he was drafted uh, over to Asia to go to war. And while the son was serving in war overseas, this young man, he had a good heart. He had a good character. And one of his comrades had been wounded. And so this son, this young man, he went out to save his fallen comrade as they were in battle. And he dragged his comrade to safety. But in the process, this son was shot and eventually he died because of his wounds. And the, you know, the, his comrade that he saved, he, he lived. He was able to go back home. And so the one who lived, the one who was saved... He went back to America after being wounded. Uh, he was released from, from uh, the military. And he went to this father. He found out. He knew his, his friend who had saved his life had talked so many times about his father and how much he loved him and, and how they would, collect, they would collect art and these type of things. Because, you know, when they're out there on the battlefield, they become very close. So he shared all these things. He found out where the father lived. He knocked on the father's door one day. And to much of the father's surprise, there was this uh, young man suited up in his military gear. And and he says, I just wanted to meet you. I wanted to meet the father of the man who saved my life. And he said, I don't have much. I don't have anything. I can't do much. But what I can do is I can draw. And I remember your son. Of course he saved my life. And so I drew a picture of your son. And I wanted to give it to you today. So the father reaches out and he takes this picture, this drawing of his son that caught the very essence of his son. And moved by tears, he couldn't say anything. So he went and he put this artwork as the centerpiece of all the other art that he had collected over the years.
And so shortly after the father, heartbroken, he died and passed away. They didn't have, there was no grandchildren. He had no other children. And so the artwork and the estate were going to be auctioned off. So the day comes for the auction and the auctioneer gets up and, and of course the announcement went out to all these, you know, uh, other art dealers and museums. So many people come from far and wide. They want to purchase the, the art that this man and his son that they had left behind. Rembrandts and Van Goghs and all these other precious works of art. So the auctioneer gets up and he starts his work. And he holds up a picture that nobody could recognize that was not by a famous artist, and it is the picture of that son that the soldier had drawn. And he says, who will give me a thousand dollars for this? And all the people there, you know, intelligent men and men uh, of renown and museums, they say, who is this? What is this? They start mocking, you know, get that off of the podium. Get to the Rembrandts. Get to the Van Goghs. And the auctioneer says, no, my directions are very clear. I start with this piece of art. Who will give me $1,000? Nobody would give him. $500. Give me five. Nobody wanted to buy it. Move on, they would say. $100, and nobody would take it. He went all the way down to $10, and there was a man in the back. It was the gardener. It was, it was the gardener for the son and the father who worked on the property there. Big estate. And he said, I'm glad you went down to $10. That's all that I have. I love the father and I love the son. They were so good to me. I will give you $10 for that work of art. And so he said, sold. He gave the gardener this work of art, this of the painting of the son. And he held it so precious to him. And he was even moved to tears. And so the auctioneer takes his his hammer, and he puts it in the bag, and he gets ready to leave. And everybody is so shocked. What about all the rest of the artwork? And the auctioneer says, no, my instructions are very clear. Whoever has the son has the entire estate and all the artwork with it. I'm done. I'm going home. So that gardener who paid $10 to get a precious picture of the son got all the millions of dollars worth of artwork, and the entire estate belonged to him. This man who was poor became rich in one instant because he loved the son, and he gave whatever he had just to have that one picture. Church, that's true of us too. We are poor sinners We have nothing. We are not wealthy. We have nothing to come to God with and say, God, I am going to do this. I have this. And now you must let me into the kingdom. No, we have nothing to offer God. Nothing. Zero. But yet God gives us everything in Christ Jesus. We accept the son and it all belongs to us. And church, I hope and pray today that just like the Ephesians, who sometimes they might have felt estranged. Well, I'm not a Jew. Well, I'm not not this or I'm not that. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Not in Christ, you're not estranged. Not in Christ. Today, I want to challenge us to live like you know for certain every day that you are a child of God. And, and that you're determined that he was determined 
from eternity past to save your soul at the highest cost to himself, that you are a legitimate child of God. Let the things of the world seem less attractive. How can the things of the world compare with the things of heaven? And let the things of heaven become more and more of a reality to you. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, as I read earlier today, it says, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion, Forever and ever, amen. And I want to add in there, he made us kings and queens. Amen. Amen. I want to appeal to you today to live like kings and queens and priests of God. For you truly do this, and the power of the devil, it lessens in your life. The devil will have less and less power over your life. And the power of God, the blessings of God, will be multiplied in your life. The negative things people do to you will have much less significance. You will have more control over your actions and your relationships in your life. Bad health, financial problems, whatever it is, when you know that you're in Christ Jesus and you have this confidence, what, who can be against us if God is for us? And it's my appeal today that we live like kings and queens of the God of heaven. May God bless you. Let's pray. God in heaven, we worship you today. We thank you for this promise that we are a child of the King. God, we pray for the grace to believe this and live this way and help others to see, God, the precious gift that they can have in Jesus as well too. Lord, we ask your blessing upon the rest of the Sabbath day. I want to say a special prayer for those who have lost loved ones, uh, those who are suffering silently, those who are just in need of your grace today. Please be with them, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.